Welcome to Get on the Mend from Texas Tech University Health Sciences Center. I'm your host, Melissa Whitfield. We want you to get healthy and stay healthy. So with evidence-based advice from physicians, healthcare providers, and researchers, take charge of your health. This month, we're posting additional episodes, which will hopefully answer any questions you might have about COVID-19 and the new vaccines. In this episode, which was recorded on December 9th, 2020, Dr. Afsal Siddiqui, researcher and Grover E. Murray, distinguished professor in the School of Medicine, talks to us about vaccines, how they are developed, how they work, and what we can expect from the new COVID-19 vaccines. Dr. Siddiqui's passion for vaccines isn't limited to his work. His son and his daughter, both frontline workers, physicians, are expected to be among the first ones receiving the COVID-19 vaccine. Dr. Siddiqui, thank you so much for coming on our podcast. Well, thank you. Thank you very much for inviting me. Could you please tell us a little bit about yourself and what it is you do at the Health Sciences Center? So I am a professor, Grover Murray professor in the Department of Medicine, and I'm also the director of Center for Tropical Medicine and Infectious Diseases. And I've been working on developing a vaccine for the last 30 years. And we have developed a vaccine, which is in clinical trials for a disease which affects 200 million people in Africa. So can you explain to us how a vaccine is developed from illness to disease, research, approval, and finally how it goes to market? What happens is that, let me just start from the very basic. We are born with an immune system which is designed to take care of diseases which may get through pathogens. So some of our bodies train to fight those diseases. And then uh, we get some uh, of the training in mother's milk. And as we grow older, we develop more and more of the cells which are responsible of fighting the infection through antibodies. And they are called memory cells. So that system we have is called innate immunity. But there are certain diseases which we don't have to get exposed for our body to learn how to fight them. So for those, we have developed this vaccination strategy, and that is called adaptive immunity. So where what you do is that we study the disease, we study the pathogen, and then we try to develop a strategy introducing that pathogen some way to the human body so that human body first can recognize that and then start to fight it. And that is the concept. So when we make vaccines, so the first component of the vaccine is that we need to find out what is affecting the body with that disease, i.e. the pathogen. What is the pathogen? And then we look for something which is uh, very important to the pathogen and we can target that. And then we start to make vaccine around that particular part of the pathogen. Sometimes we use the whole pathogen. We can uh, use uh, the live pathogen in a very small amount, or we can kill the pathogen and use the killed pathogen, or we can take a portion of the pathogen, which could be a very important protein, and target that protein and introduce that in a small amount to the human body. So that is all. Before we put it in humans, we do all of this work in animal models. 
that is called preclinical work. So the first thing is the discovery of the target. That is followed by the preclinical studies where you will see that whether we have the right immune response. And once that is done, then we look for the toxicology of that product to make sure that it is not toxic before we put it in humans. So there's another set of experiments which we do uh, usually in rabbits. And once that is done, then we go into humans. So there are several phases of trials we do in humans. So the first phase is safety, in which we use maybe 20 to 80 subjects in humans and see that if that product which we have, vaccine product, is safe to be used in humans. Then we move on to phase two, which usually have hundreds of subjects and where we look for whether this target we have is producing the immune response, the right kind of immune response. And then we get into bigger trials, which are phase three and up, where we look for the efficacy of the vaccine. And that has thousands of participants. And then we go for approvals at different regulatory agencies, and then we still follow after the approval that if there are long-term side effects of the vaccine. So it's a long process, usually takes about uh, 10 years to complete. So in a nutshell, that's what uh, how we make vaccines. Are all vaccines, do they follow the same process and do they end up the same way? How, how is it that some are different? Some are injected and some are oral or does it make a difference? It does make uh, a difference. There are many ways vaccines can be introduced, and it all depends what kind of response we are looking for. But great majority of vaccines are injected uh, in the muscles or in the subcutaneous area. The reason being that we have the right kind of antigen-presenting cells. So these are the cells in the body where this vaccine antigen, antigen which is in the vaccine, has to come in and to be processed to be given to the human body. Usually we are looking for a vaccine which is antibody-based. So we want to prime the immune system with the B and T cells, which is the best way to do it in the muscle. Now there also, we have vaccines where we give it orally, but very few of them where we are trying to do uh, mucosal immune response. We have one of the polio vaccines, oral vaccine, and we also have intranasal sprays of vaccines, but those are very limited. And they're used when you're looking for a different kind of response. But most of the vaccines uh, we have, they are injectable uh, vaccines. Why are vaccines important? Uh, you know, going back to, you know, hundreds of years, like 1790s, when we got the first vaccine for smallpox, vaccines have been perhaps the second most important public health victories of ours, of humankind. And we have saved hundreds of millions of lives using vaccines. So vaccines are effective if they are used correctly. And vaccines don't work. It's the vaccination which works. So we we have to make sure that we not only have the right vaccine, but we have to make sure that the people who need the vaccine are vaccinated, and also the people who think they don't need it, but they do need it because uh, to eradicate a disease, 
we have to develop an immunity at a larger level. So that's why it is a very difficult thing to have yes or no and black and white answer. So vaccine have to be looked at in a very global sense that not only people who need it uh, has to have the vaccine, but also we have to protect people who may get exposed sometimes should have it too. Your work, your research on vaccines, what can you tell us about what you've done? What has been your experience with that? My work is, uh, I think it is uh, probably very different than what we are going through now with regards to vaccines. So my work started 30 years ago, and it is on a disease uh, which is common in, in Africa. 800 million people are at risk of getting the disease. 200 million people have the disease. So we did exactly the, you know, the thing which people do, traditional thing that we looked for, a soft spot in the parasite, and we targeted that and uh, developed it all the way through. And since this is a disease which does not affect people in the Western world, uh, so the funding is limited, but we have been really lucky to take that all the way through to clinical trials. And now we have it in human trials in Seattle and as well as uh, in Africa, where this disease is endemic. So now switching over to COVID-19, how soon can we expect to see the vaccine in the U.S.? There are a couple of things which I think we should uh, just get it out of the way. Even though it takes uh, a decade to make a vaccine following the traditional pathways, the vaccines for this virus have been accelerated without doing anything limiting the safety and efficacy testing. So that is very important that from the outset we know that we did not do any shortcuts with regards to the vaccines with the coronavirus. For example, the preclinical stage development of it was very quick because we already knew a lot about the signs of the similar kind of viruses. And uh, within months of the epidemic, we knew the genetic code of the virus. So we were able to target what was the very important area of that parasite. And that was the spike protein, which is essential for this virus to infect. So, so we knew exactly what we need to target. So that is why there was this accelerated development of this vaccine. So what we have right now is I think we have over 300 plus uh, vaccines of different kinds in different stages of development. And out of those, uh, there are about 86 or so, which are in preclinical stages, like they're being tested in animals. And there are 58 of them, which are in different stages of uh, clinical trials. So to be very specific, there are 41, which are in phase one, and there are 17, which are in phase two, and 13 in phase three, and there are seven vaccines, which are very close to be approved, not for the real approval, which is for everybody, but uh, FDA could approve some of them for emergency use. So there are two of them, which I think may be in the, 
this week and next week we will have them. And these are mRNA vaccines. And we can talk about those vaccines because those are the new kinds. So one is Pfizer's vaccine, which is, I think, being discussed at FDA tomorrow. And then the Moderna's RNA vaccine is a week later. And then there are several other vaccines which will be on the table for discussion. And they have gone through very structured clinical trials. Thousands of people uh, were part of those trials. So in a vaccine such as this, and, and I suppose, I guess, in the vaccines that you work on, do researchers collaborate? I know that the, the pharmaceutical companies are private companies, but do researchers, like in your case at universities or governments, do they collaborate? Are, are they working in conjunction with each other? What is that process? So there are many ways of developing vaccines. Some are totally uh, through the private companies. There are some where there have been partnerships. Not all vaccines are money-making enterprises, so you need the partnership. As we have seen with my vaccine, my vaccine is, is not going to be a vaccine which will make a profit, will, the shares will not be sold. So foundations like Gates Foundations and NIH, they have invested in that and they are developing that vaccine. But for example, for the coronavirus vaccine, what has happened is that there has been a large infusion of funds to these biotechnology companies because they have the infrastructure to scale up to a level where we will need them. And that's where these partnerships, which we have developed during this pandemic, they have been really remarkable. And that should be something that we learned from. And hopefully in the future, we'll have more of these partnerships uh, where we have very focused areas where we can develop not only vaccines, but also therapeutics for certain diseases. You discussed how this vaccine has been essentially, quote-unquote, fast-tracked. Is there any possibility that there are others that, quote-unquote, vaccines out there that could be something like an imposter vaccine? Should we be worried about getting the wrong one, or should you advise people to get it as soon as they can, or wait any thoughts on that? I think that we have a very good plan. So these are vetted very well by all of the regulatory agencies, all of the vaccines which are in the pipeline in US, in Europe, and Asia. So they all have their own regulatory bodies. And it's a very robust process. And every clinical trial has a board of very qualified, experienced people who look at how effective the, the vaccine is. So the vaccines which will come through with approvals like emergency use or final approvals will be totally good vaccines and people should trust that judgment. Now, about the fake vaccines, and you always see that they will come up, and I think we have to be very careful that we don't take something uh, which is not FDA approved and which is not given by the provider, uh, which people deal with, uh, people you know, the pharmacy you know. So I think that is very careful that we don't get into the situation where people try to sell you something which is not real. So that could be a real problem. But I think if we stick with the FDA approved vaccines in US, we should be fine. And there will be 
categories of people who will receive these vaccines based on what uh, the requirements are. For example, the frontline workers, the people who are at risk, the older populations, uh, they will receive first and then we will move down that different categories that way. So we should watch out for people selling you snake oils, but just to stick with FDA-approved vaccines. Can you explain to us what is an RNA vaccine? So this is a very new thing. It is a new technology, and we never had one licensed. So the way RNA works is that it makes the protein which we need, and that is the same protein, the spike protein, which we are targeting. So in this case, so what happens is that you have the DNA, you have the gene which makes this, and then that is transcribed, and then you have the translation, the protein is made. So you have just shortened that process. So you take the mRNA, and there are many ways of introducing this RNA, and usually this is encapsulated in a lipid form, and then it is injected in the body. It goes in the body, and that RNA uses our cells to make the protein, the protein which is important for the virus so that our immune system can see that protein and start to make antibodies. Now, one thing which is very important that uh, we mention it here is that it does not go in the nucleus of the human cells. So that is where our genetic material is. So there is no way that it can affect our genetic code. So we cannot mutate into some zombies or something, something because we got the viral mRNA in there. So it just science doesn't work that way. So it is not going into the, the nucleus and it is an mRNA. So mRNA cannot go back to become DNA. So DNA becomes RNA and then RNA becomes a protein. So this is once it is used up, the cell is destroyed and that's how this uh, vaccine works. And that it has been very robust in regards to making the antibody responses. Uh, It has made very good neutralizing antibodies. And these are the kind of antibodies which kill the virus. So we need them. And we also need the T-cell response, which this vaccine also does. So, so far in the trials we have had, the efficacy and this, first of all, the safety uh, has been very good. There have not been that many side effects of this uh, vaccine, and it has been uh, very protective in the population. And that has been a large population, 60,000 people uh, we have tested. And total of these two vaccines is over 100,000. If you take Moderna's and Pfizer's mRNA vaccine, we have tested it in over 100,000 different people in different continents, different countries. So just to be reassured, the RNA won't go into human DNA and turn us into zombies. <laughs> no, no, no. I mean, that's not how it works. <laughs> and you will see that, I mean, when you were talking about fake vaccines and, and you can see that people, you know, on the internet, that there is a microchip in there and Bill Gates is right. It, there's just, it just doesn't work that way. So you have to have the DNA first, which makes the mRNA and mRNA makes a protein. That is how it goes. It cannot go back. So you cannot have a protein going all the way back up and make the genes. It's the other way around. So you're not getting up to the DNA. You're just only at the mRNA. And that is very short-lived. And once it exposes the body to make 
the right protein which need, uh, it goes away. What can you tell me about side effects? Is this the body rejecting the vaccine or is this the body working because of the vaccine? Yeah, so this is the, uh, the side effects of this vaccine. Uh, you asked me about what we are going to get right now. So the first one is the mRNA. So the side effects are very mild. So they're not uh, much different than what you see with the flu vaccine. So what we know is uh, fever, fatigue, headache, uh, muscle pain, joint pain. Those are the things which we may see maybe in 10%. That is the higher end of people very mild, and then they go away. And the reason is that once you're introducing something new to the body, the body is trying to use it innate system to kill whatever is out there. And that's what the localized reactions you see. So, so far, uh, we have not seen anything of any significance. And, and, you know, I mean, when you are introducing this thing at a larger scale, because clinical trials are very controlled, you will start to see things here and there. For example, today we found out when they started using the vaccine, uh, the same Pfizer vaccine in England, that uh, some people who had problems with very severe allergies had some more reaction to the vaccine. So we learned that today. So in the next time, we will make sure that uh, when we are asking people who should get it, we will ask that too and then have them wait a little bit before we give them vaccines. So this will be a learning process. This is a new virus. This is a new vaccine, and it will be a learning curve here. And as we move forward in this, we learn, and uh, hopefully we would be able to give this vaccine to enough of the population over the next uh, five to six months to control uh, this pandemic. Now, as I understand, for the vaccine to work, there are two shots given. Mm-hmm. Is that different from getting a, the second shot? Is that get different from getting a booster shot? Because this is so new. We, we still have vaccines, which we take two shots like shingles vaccine. Uh, so the thing is that you don't want to just overpower the immune system with a large amount of your antigen. So it is better to prime it slowly. Uh, with the first primary immunization. And once the immune system is prime, you get a booster to boost it to make more of those cells, which we need memory cells, and they can store them. So that is the reason behind it. So it's very important that we take both shots of the vaccine. And there is a little bit of difference in the first and second one in uh, Pfizer and Moderna's vaccine just a few days here and there between the first and second. But it is very important to take the same first and second injections of the same vaccine, not like the first one of Pfizer and the second one of Moderna. That's not going to help. So either we take both of Pfizer or both of Moderna, if they both are approved. We don't know. We will know tomorrow, at least for one, uh, if they're approved. Is there anything else you'd like to add? No, I think this is, uh, we are really, you know, very happy that uh, scientists were able to pull this off so quickly. And uh, one thing I would like to add, and which is so remarkable, that this vaccine, the one, the Pfizer vaccine, which is, will be the first one in U.S., which we will use, was uh, created by an immigrant from Turkey. So his family came from Turkey, his father, 
and they had nothing. And they came to Germany and uh, the scientist now uh, is at the cusp of saving millions and millions of, of lives. So that is, that is so remarkable. It is a story which is pretty much like mine that, you know, I came here and I may also have, but not to the level which uh, this vaccine, but in America, everything is possible. And, in, you know, and he was in Germany, but I think his vaccine is, uh, is going to be a global thing. Sort of like kindred spirits. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, thank you so much for coming on our podcast and explaining how vaccines work and your experience. I think it'll help educate a lot of people. Thank you. Anytime. That was part one on our series on vaccines. In part two, TTUHSE School of Medicine, Dean Stephen Burke, tells us more about the COVID-19 vaccine, the reasons why someone would choose to get vaccinated, and explains how herd immunity works. Thanks for listening to Get On The Mend. This information is not intended to be a substitute for professional medical advice. Always seek immediate medical advice from your physician or your healthcare provider for questions regarding your health or medical condition. Get on the Mend is brought to you by Texas Tech University Health Sciences Center. Music